Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, March 8th, 2018, otherwise known as Popcorn Lovers Day. I'm Chris Salamone, and with me as always are Mike Montgomery and Ben Ueda, a couple of popcorn lovers. Happy to be here. Not really. Uh, No? You know, I'm not huge on popcorn. I I prefer like a white cheddar popcorn. That's pretty good to snack on, but just plain old popcorn is not my jam. Too boring for you? Too basic. Have you ever gotten one of those big holiday tins where it's like... Partitioned yeah, like into the three, three, and there's the caramel popcorn, the regular mm-hmm. popcorn, and then the cheese popcorn. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Caramel always goes real fast, and then that nasty-ass cheese stale popcorn <laughs> is like always the last one. You can eat them it's together the if you want Chicago style. It doesn't match style. the others. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's yeah. enough popcorn talk. Let's, uh, what, this, this is the first time we've podcasted since we've all three met face-to-face. Yeah, that was exciting. That was a fun episode. I've been getting good responses from oh, yeah. from the, the live from the episode. live episode. So that was cool. Yeah, we should do them all live. We'll just meet once a week. Yeah, exactly. We'll all fly <laughs> in. What's like this <laughs> the center point between all of us? We'll just go it to was Atlanta every week. Getting, it was definitely interesting getting questions in person. I think that was a really cool way to get some back and forth going. Yeah, just yeah. to just to recap, we were all three of us were at Workbench Con in Atlanta uh, last weekend, and uh, it was. Me and Mike had met before, but it was the first time I had met Chris. Mike, had you met Chris before? Nope. I hadn't, no. Nope. Big, it was a big day. So Mysterious oh, yeah. Chris was, was finally revealed. <laughs> I do but, exist. Um, and yeah, WorkbenchCon in general was you know, pretty pretty amazing. I, I had a had a blast. You guys want to sort of recap that? And yeah, sure. Totally. Your, your thoughts? It was the first one ever, so no one really knew what to expect. Right. Um, the organizers before also uh, some of them ran a conference called Haven, but this mm-hmm. one was totally different. I think what what stood out right away was it wasn't a trade show and it wasn't a woodworking show or a metal show. It was a conference centered around the idea of making. So it had yeah. this really loose connection that was also really broad. So there's people that do a lot of woodworking. There's people that do a lot of welding. There's people that do a lot of like fiber arts and people that do uh, interior design blogging. It was a lot mm-hmm. more than just one genre, but there was sort of centered around this idea primarily of being really interested in making things. And then also I'd say secondarily, but not too far of a distant second, uh, this idea of sort of producing content about that subject matter and right. sharing that. Um, so it was right up our, our alleys and, Pretty awesome group, about 150 to 200 people. And the other thing that I thought was really cool is there wasn't really like a tier or hierarchy like the way there are sometimes at conferences where, you know, there's this mm-hmm. sort of, you know, back green room and there's like a few people hanging out and then all the masses are waiting for the talks. Everybody was interacting. Somebody would come off the stage from giving a talk and then they'd immediately be just like having lunch with like 20 people that were in the talk. Right. Um, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think definitely we're going to sort of do it again. And I think it's probably going to be a lot bigger uh, next year. So stay tuned for an announcement when tickets and stuff go on sale because uh, I think it's going to be a lot a lot tougher to get one. And you'll hear it here first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was really cool being able to meet people that were just not makers. Like that wasn't the only thing that we had in common. Like you were just saying, the underlying tone was all about content creation all within the maker space. So it was really cool being able to talk video ideas, talk about how different people produce their content and you know what works for one person 
and how that might work or might not work for another. So plus it was really cool. Me and Chris did a talk together about kind of from A to Z on making YouTube videos, you know, from picking a project uh, to filming and, you know, just general like composition of your shots and why you would use what shots when all the way to like building a thumbnail out. And I think a lot of people gave us really, really good feedback. I've had a few people actually send me thumbnails of the projects that they've finished since they've been back from the event saying, like, yeah, I've hey, had a few people do re- it too. That's awesome. Yeah. That was, yeah. that was really, really cool. People were like, Hey man, I really took the thumbnail thing to heart. I took my bookshelf, put it in the bed of my truck and drove around town until I found like a good <laughs> like department store that had a clean wall on it to take nice. it and stuff. So it was awesome to see people that, you know, listened to us, absorbed it and then went out and basically did it, you know? So that was, that was a lot of fun. What yeah. do you think, Chris? Actually, the thing that struck me most was actually something that Ben already mentioned, and that was that the lack of a hierarchy thing. So just oh, so yeah. cool to like, you know, you're talking to people who haven't even put out their first video yet, and then you're talking to Bob Claggett 30 seconds later, and it's just like crazy being somewhere in the middle, especially for me, I feel like I'm like right in the middle of those two people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was it was really fun. Like, I wonder because this was my first experience like this. So like, Mm -hmm. would I be spoiled thinking that everything is going to be this where the people have so much in common and it's like just so easy to talk to everybody, even if you've never met them or talked to them before. Whereas other things, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot more separation of what the interests are. So it probably wouldn't be quite as easy. Totally. Yeah. That's what was really awesome about how it was geared. Yeah, I think another thing is it's often trade shows, so it's all centered around all these different vendors that have booths, and people mm-hmm. are just kind of like walking around, talking to people wearing polo shirts with the brand's logo <laughs> on them, um, yeah. which right. is fine, but that's a very you know commerce and commercial-driven event. This was a very community-driven event. There was a few vendors there, but all of their displays were interactive, so you could actually yeah. learn to weld. Uh, my sister, Jessie, did a lot of welding uh, and was able to sort of get uh, hands-on uh, experience doing welding with the sort of Lincoln Electric guy sort of showing her and giving her some tips. They gave me a ton of tips about face shields, which was, you know, uh, I think one of the things that was holding me back, I didn't have a good face shield and I was hurting yeah. my visibility. And I'm like, wait, no, that totally makes sense. Invest in, <laughs> you know, uh, an, a, auto-darkening a, an expensive one that can protect your eyes and also you know, allow you to see your workpiece clearly before it auto darkens. So totally, I'd say that the highlights for me were uh, also, well, uh, meeting a lot of new people. I, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people in this, this community. I've met them before, but there was, there was quite a few new people that I, that I hadn't met. So uh, Ashley Harwood, uh, the, the wood turner, I was just checking out her Instagram and I think I'm going to get that sort of dust mask, the spaceship, the spacesuit yeah. dust mask thing. I was looking at that thing. It is, yeah, that, that would have come in handy when I was like angle grinding clouds of plywood dust. <laughs> um, totally. So I've been checking out her stuff. It's really amazing. Uh, Anne of All Trades was really cool. Met a whole yeah. bunch of other cool people. And uh, yeah, that was, you know, adding new people that you could potentially collaborate with and just get inspired by and to know them, you know, individually yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, and also, I would be remiss if I didn't highlight mm-hmm. a certain competitive oh, yeah. activity that took the, throne. the Modern Maker podcast had with one of our other favorite podcasts, the Made for Profit podcast. 
That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, me <laughs> and Mike. Uh, yeah, challenged. I was still two on two since yep. I was not a part of this. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So me and for Mike, obvious reasons. Me and Mike challenged uh, John Malecki and Brad Rodriguez, uh, you know, the two hosts of the Made for Profit podcast, to a best two out of three drinking game sort of mini Olympics. So yep. we first <laughs> we crushed him at Flip Cup. Flip Cup. And then we pretty handily, I think we beat him by like three or four cups, uh, yeah. beat them at Beer Pong. <laughs> and uh, the stakes were high. The the winner got to pick the song that the loser had to karaoke. So, you know, this all went down at a party hosted by Inventables. Shout out to Zach, who also gave a Shout really out, awesome yeah. uh, uh, talk. So Inventables rented this cool event space that was like, uh, you know, just kind of these, these interesting sort of lofts. And then they had these like individual little karaoke rooms and there's ping pong tables. So... It, it was it was pretty awesome. So after we beat them, so the, the the winners got to pick the song that the loser had to karaoke, and of course, we made them sing Whitney Houston's "I Will Always Love You" from the Bodyguard. <laughs> what else could we have chosen? And <laughs> There's nothing that could embarrass three or two thirty-plus-year-old men. Well, actually, John, I think is like twenty-eight, twenty-nine. Yeah. But two grown so men with beards singing Whitney Houston songs. I think Instagram. Brad was really enjoying it. Brad was good. Brad can actually <laughs> sing a little bit. He's got some pipes. He's got that high vocal range that he can get into, that high register. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if you want to see a highlight of that, check out the Modern Maker Podcast Instagram account. And yeah. Yeah, I'm looking it, forward to seeing welcome. them again and having that, uh, having the rematch. Yeah. We, you know, it, was, it wasn't close. Um, we were, <laughs> we were gracious winners, except not really. And, uh, we didn't gloat at all, except we did. Except for right now. <laughs> yeah. And all the other times we gloated. Only publicly. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, yeah, was, awesome. it was awesome hanging out with those guys. Uh, you know, it's going to be a good event when people are showing up early. Uh, I was really surprised. I knew you were getting there a day early, Mike. Uh, cause I was, yep. I was there even before you, cause I had to do some stuff with Home Depot, which is also in Atlanta. And then Jimmy came early, April Wilkinson came early, uh, Brad and John came early, and it was just awesome. Even before the conference started, we were all just hanging out, having beers, eating food. Yep. Uh, and that was really shop. cool because that was the first time I had met all, all of them other than Jimmy and you. So it kind of gave me a chance to like introduce myself, meet them, and get kind of chummy with them before everyone else showed up. So yeah, yeah. pro tip. If you're going to come to one of these events, coming a day early is a pretty good idea. Totally, and if you missed it, and if you missed it this year, make sure you come next year because it's only going to be better. I feel like. Heck yeah! So. Next year it's going to be in California. No, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> That's wishful thinking. Exactly. We'll figure it out later. So, what have y'all been doing since uh, since the conference has ended? A lot of traveling, or are y'all actually getting anything done? Yeah, it's been it's crazy that it's already been a week since we've been back. Uh, I've just been trying to load in the project still before the baby gets here. So, oh, I've yeah. actually so I have both of my projects for this month done and now i'm starting nice. to work on things already for april man that's crazy so i'm oh. really trying to get ahead of the game i don't think i talked about the peg wall yet so i made this peg wall <laughs> thing i actually started making it before we left and it's funny because i don't know if you guys have seen chris from get hands dirty she just put out a video that's like such a yeah. similar project to yep. the one that i made <laughs> there, there's a few mostly aesthetic differences but it's 
pretty similar in construction, which it makes sense that all of these things would be similar in construction. But um, the idea actually came from, have you guys ever seen, I think it's called an Eames hang it all. It's like a wall mounted. It looks like a little like wire metal rack with really colorful balls on the end of it. Yeah. Knobs, balls, whatever. Um, So that was sort of the inspiration for it. I wanted to do something that just had that like colorful, playful look to it that, I mean, I guess you could put it in any room, but it's, I would say it's more kids roomish looking, but it's very different in function. It just like takes a cue from the, I guess, colorful circle. So I uh, bought, so I don't remember if I talked about this on here, but Montana gold spray paint. I think I had talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I went and bought some and did it on MDF and yeah, it works really well. Like you can tell just if you were to hold a regular can of spray paint and that up side by side and just spray them, it just like looks different coming out of the can. It looks a lot more like it almost it's comes out with pressure, like, right? Exactly. Yeah. It comes out more of like a, um, like if it was like powder coating or something, it just mm. kind of like mists out of it instead of like, psh, like a high pressured spray coming out of it, but works really well. Like you get really good coverage even from just one coat. And I was testing it out on MDF even, and even that, like, you know how porous that is. It's still, took it pretty well but putting it onto just regular plywood like one coat was plenty really one coat yeah for i mean at least for what i was doing i mean if if it was just like an exposed face maybe you'd want to do a few coats but for just like a pop of color which is what i'm doing they're just like these a bunch of pops of color that show through the where you can put the pegs one coat was like you can't see any of the grain or anything through it so yeah it it works really well yeah i did a a pegboard project like that uh Quite a few years ago, I never made a video of it. It just went in my book. So when I was working with the publisher, they wanted like, you know, five or six projects that I hadn't done video of, videos mm-hmm. of before. So I actually did uh, a pegboard one in my book. But yeah, I've seen a lot of people do them. There's so many different ways to. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I everyone needs more organizational stuff. So it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty evergreen idea that can always be uh, right. done. And also it's one visually. It's all about the staging. <laughs> so, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And well, and this one was kind of so the way that I did it, I wanted to do sort of a man versus machine kind of angle to the video. So, I actually made it where it's two modular boards that are like 20 by 20, and I put them next to each other. So, it's 20 by 40 now. And I made one of them on the CNC, and then the other one I just used the drill press to make. So, all you would really need to make this would be a drill press and a circular saw. And a CNC machine. No, just joking. Um, (laughs) No, but I just wanted to see, like, could I create it as accurately? And and the way that it works, because it has shelves that sit on the pegs where it's, like, recessed where it sits. So they have to be evenly spaced for the shelves to work. And the CNC version and the hand cut version, I guess, uh, work. So, yeah, it was just as easy to be accurate, at least accurate enough for for this purpose. But, um, I just kind of want to see like, how long did it take me to cut it manually and how long did it take for the CNC to do it? And when you factor in measuring everything out, like the cutting goes way faster hand done, but you have to measure everything out to get it on there. And actually the way that it worked out was because some of the holes were in the center and, and my drill press, there's not enough reach. So I had to do a lot of them by hand. It was probably about even, all things considered, about the same amount. I would say like, you know, 40 minutes for either the CNC or a person to do it. Wow. Except then you're doing all the work, so. Yeah. But then the other <laughs> one, you have to set up the file and everything, so. And you have to. Yeah, good point. Have a CNC. And you have to have a CNC, exactly. Yeah. Chris, or Ben, sorry. 
What have you been doing since you left? Speaking of CNCs, I've been CNCing a acrylic sink for this upcoming project I'm doing with Moen. So uh, right now we're recording on a Sunday because Monday I'm flying back to Atlanta. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I've been all over. Actually, just to recap. So after, after Atlanta, I flew back to Boston. It was like home for the first time in forever. Uh, opened my mail and then drove to Lancast, uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania to do a lecture as part of my innovator in residency at Millersville University. Um, and gave a talk. Actually, a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of woodworkers came out and uh, we all went for drinks afterwards. So it was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming, guys. And uh, yeah, and then I met with students and actually was a judge at their sort of Shark Tank style uh, program for their like uh, entrepreneurial clubs and stuff. So I got to see all these like student pitches. Then drove back to Boston, uh, flew uh, back to LA, and now I'm in Santa Barbara and I got the CNCs uh, going again. And this time I am cutting half inch thick acrylic. And yeah, you know, I was looking at the forms on Inventables, which are which are fantastic. If you have questions about uh, settings for the machine, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that have uploaded their projects, and if like, you know, you can also if you search like CNC acrylic, they'll tell you all about it. And yeah. I was a little bit apprehensive because a lot of people were having trouble with it. Apparently, if you if your you know spindle speed is too fast or you don't clean out the the cuts. The little mm. chips of acrylic can melt and then yeah. like kind of gob up, up the the router bit, and then everything goes haywire from there. So mm. I was like, I was like, uh oh, again, I, find, I keep finding myself on these like ridiculous deadlines. So I have to finish, <laughs> I have to finish building this whole you know, you know, half inch thick acrylic uh, sink. And then get on a flight to uh, Atlanta, sh- shoot this video where we're testing out this garbage disposal. Uh, I had to figure out how to hook a garden hose up to a faucet to, for the set because we don't have water on the set. All these like weird, random, hacky kind of things. Uh, but it's all coming together. And the one thing that actually worked really well was actually CNCing the acrylic. So I just did a real small step down. So it's only going just a little bit in each time. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, I'll vacuum it off just to make sure that, you know, keep the dust out of the, the cut lines. And uh, just using a single flute um, upward spiral bit, and it cuts so clean. It, it looks fantastic. I'm definitely going to be doing more acrylic projects. Oh, also, pro tip, I got cast acrylic instead of extruded acrylic, and apparently that machines much better. I guess extruded uh, acrylic or plexi has like a lower melting temperature and gets a little more gummy. So uh, I did read that tip before, and I'm really glad I ordered half-inch thick cast acrylic. So you said you're going down to Atlanta, and that's to test like a garbage disposal or like to be able to see through it? Yeah, so uh, it's an influencer thing. It's with an agency, and they're hired a production company. So it's going to be like Mm -hmm. pro thing. So uh, the production company doesn't know how to build stuff, so they wanted me to to build oh, this sink. Okay. Um, gotcha. And then also will be the, the on-air person in this sort of demo. I think they're going to be live streaming it too. So stay tuned to my Facebook, uh, the Homemade Monitor Facebook, and uh, we might be live streaming this on Facebook Live or uh, keep an eye on my Instagram. 
uh, we, nice. might, we might live stream it from there too. But I know one. I only know one of the things that we're putting into the garbage disposal. But it is a giant gummy bear. So we're basically going to take <laughs> all this random stuff, and this garbage disposal is like super diesel. It's like this three and a half uh, horsepower. It's kind of crazy that a garbage disposal could have the power of three quarters of a horse. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also really awesome because it's not very loud. They they came up with this cool sound uh, shield, so it's like really quiet and it can grind up anything. So they kind of want to do like a video. Remember those Blender videos where they're blending like iPhones and stuff yeah. like that? Oh yeah, oh so yeah. We're gonna do that version. <laughs> and I know we're <laughs> grinding up a giant gummy bear um, and like all kinds of random stuff. So nice. Uh, if you're watching a live stream, start throwing out random ideas of stuff we should shove down the garbage disposal. Obviously not human parts. You guys should do like a horse versus machine thing where you get a live horse in there to see what can go through the gummy bear faster, the <laughs> the disposal or the uh, the horse. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty excited. So I got these clear vinyl tubes so I can actually see what it looks like on the way out too. That'll be appetizing. Yeah. That'll basically be baby food, I guess. You said you listened to a bunch of student pitches at the university you went to. Were there any that impressed you that you're like, oh man, I'm going to steal that idea? <laughs> gonna steal that <laughs> that's uh, a joke i know you're not gonna steal the idea i'm kind of busy so i don't they they were good in general um you know the the best ones were the ones that were you know i've actually been a judge at a few sort of startup things like that you know there are a lot of people that will come up and they'll be like hey you know i watch uh, shark tank i read like uh, valley wag or whatever sort of tech blogs and stuff and then they'll try to say i have an idea for the uber of this and they think that oh, their no. idea is what's really valuable. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, that's that's fine. That's an idea that would work if you had an amazing team to execute it and a couple hundred million dollars in capital. But mm-hmm. people still think that these ideas are inventions, that like one person comes up with the idea and then owns that idea and that idea is valuable. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Like a lot of people have the same ideas for these types of things. It's really right. just execution. Are you an A plus executor? And that's where people are often not objective, uh, you know, and then they get really in love with that idea. So the ones that I thought were really impressive were the ones that were sort of like localized because that's where people can take like their competitive advantage of really knowing their own specific community. So uh, one girl had this idea. She's really into like fitness and stuff. And this is kind of like a medium sized town of like around 100,000 people or so. And she was saying, look. Soul cycle and spin classes here won't really work because there's not enough young people that are willing to pay big money for fitness classes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but so she wanted to sort of adapt and do kind of one that wasn't quite as cool and trendy as Soul Cycle, but still based on the same concepts, but could reach, wouldn't just target, like Soul Cycle tends to target like a affluent kind of hipster urban demographic. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's people that, can afford whatever $30 a class or whatever it is. But she wanted to do one that was sort of saying, oh, it'll be for sort of all ages. So we'll have like a class that's targeted at seniors. So that way they get more utilization out of the equipment. So it was really, it was really cool to see people take ideas that don't work uh, in that place and then sort of adapt them with their localized knowledge and, and create, uh, you know, small businesses that, that could be pretty cool. That's interesting. Yeah. That was something that I kind of learned being at WorkbenchCon this week is, you know, we are around so many different representatives from brands and so many people that were like the heads of the bra- heads of the brands themselves. And talking to them is so much less about pitching them like your cool project idea or your, 
you know, or how great your YouTube channel it is. It's really you're pitching yourself when you're talking to these kinds of people. And you can talk numbers and stuff as much as you want. But at the end of the day, when you're in per- like when you're in front of somebody in person and if you aren't able to like convey yourself as being one, just easy to work with and a cool person to just be around, but like reliable um, and, and, you know, your ideas are a big part of it too, but so much of it is not just your numbers and your project ideas, uh, whenever you're like, I guess, pitching yourself in front of people. And so that was kind of interesting to, I don't know, just interesting to do in person. Cause I hadn't been in an environment like that with the whole YouTube space yet. Yeah. I'm always interested to know this kind of brings up something that I've thought about before, but when you work with brands, how many of them are just sheerly interested in like, how did the video perform? And then how many of them actually see the content and are like, oh, this is awesome content that we're happy to be associated with. Yeah, totally. Well, I think the big difference is if you're working with the brand or with an agency. Or an agency. Yeah, that's right? a good point. Because if you're working with the agency, you're not the only person working on that campaign for that brand. There could be 10, mm-hmm. if not 20, if not 100 other people. And so they're mm-hmm. averaging out a message that they're kind of templating so they can get a lot of influence from a lot of different influencers. So mm-hmm. right. that's a very different thing than when you're working with the brand directly. If you're working with the brand directly, you're much more establishing and testing out specific ideas or have really specific targets. Whereas with an agency, it's a really generic thing and they just want sort of right. – your views and you're, you're sort of reduced to kind of a, a certain segment of the marketplace. Uh, and they sort of already know what they're going to pay you by sort of how, how big you're following and stuff like that. And they're just trying to minimize downside and make things predictable. Right. Yeah. And actually the, the two brands that I work with where I actually get the most like human feedback from are probably Grizzly and Rockler. And it's because I work with both of them directly and because they're basically selling exactly what it is that we're doing. And yep. so you can tell that they actually are really paying attention to like what kind of content and they want, oh, that's a cool project that we want to be associated with and so mm-hmm. forth. Exactly. Speaking of cool content, I just got done making <laughs> some really cool content with Johnny Brook. How about that segue? Oh, yeah. smooth. I want to hear about this. Yeah. All right. So WorkbenchCon ended and instead of flying back home to Oklahoma City, I drove to Asheville, North Carolina with Johnny Brook from Crafted Workshop, uh, weekend show alumni, special guest, uh, fill in for Ben once or (laughs) twice as well. Uh, So he's a good dude. If you're not following him already, make sure you're doing that. But while we were down at WorkbenchCon, I got introduced to another content creator named Kressel Anderson. And he is... I don't know what exactly I would call it, but he's got a metal foundry where he can just like melt things like aluminum and other metals Mm -hmm. and basically like pour them into molds and all this kind of stuff. And the big project that he's done and what he what people know him from is he actually built a metal lathe completely from scratch. He cast all of the parts individually and made basically a metal lathe without a lathe, which is kind of an impressive feat. And so while we're down there, we were talking to him about project ideas and I think I've even mentioned it on the podcast before. After you did the molten metal uh, inlay in that one reclaimed uh, Douglas fir bench that you made, Ben, ever since that, I've been wanting to do a similar thing, uh, a sort of lake table, essentially. And after meeting him, the plan initially was to do kind of what you did, Ben, with the low melting temperature metal, 
But we kind of took the opportunity because Kressel is only about a, an hour away from Johnny. So he drove down, mm. brought some aluminum and the foundry. We went to Asheville Hardware and picked up a cool live edge. It was a red oak slab, but it had a bunch of voids going in and out on it. And so we made a mold, or not made a mold, but we made a uh, like a sandbox kind of mold for the slab to set into, melted aluminum, and then poured that into all of the voids in this live edge slab. And it looks really freaking cool. I am so excited for this video to come out. Were you? Um, were you? So I saw big, that you were having oh, a little trouble getting the aluminum into the smaller kind of like wormhole things. Were you able to figure that out? Unfortunately, no. After because you had gave us some good advice, and I wish I looked back on your video because I think you even mentioned it on yours. But you you gave us the advice of getting some some kind of wire and feeding that into the smaller holes, and that basically acts like a wick for the for the metal to follow down into those voids. Right, but the surface what we, tension of the metal is is surprisingly strong. It's not like it water really type liquid. It's more like a it's it just molten metal moves differently than liquid. It's not like honey or resin that's thick, no. but it slowly ends. It like beads up and then it cools fast. So it tends to make these really cool little gumdrop shapes on top rather than mm. go down into the smaller uh, nooks and crevices the way you'd want it to. Totally. And so we we filled up the big voids, and those came out so, so good, man. I'm so excited to show this off. I know there's one designer out of, I think, Israel that does a similar thing. She casts live-edge things, uh, live-edge slabs, and she also makes the legs for them. She casts the legs so that it's all in one pour, and it's really wow. interesting. I'll leave a link to whoever she is in the description of this podcast if you want to go check her out, but... It was just really cool because you have that molten metal, and as it's cooling, it's burning the wood around it. And so once everything is sanded and flattened, you have this cool aluminum center and then this gradient from like really burnt wood right at the edge of the aluminum, mm -hmm. and then that slowly tapers to fresh wood. And that metal follows the contours of the of the void perfectly. And so it's it's just really organic, really, really cool. And so for those smaller holes, we ended up getting all of the aluminum shavings because we just made a simple router sled to flatten out all of the aluminum. Mm -hmm. And so we got all of those shavings, mixed it with epoxy, and then filled all of the smaller voids with that. So oh. we had a little bit of a little bit of Peter Brown action going on there, <laughs> but it came out really cool. So does it those those ones that you mix with epoxy? Then does it look like the aluminum? Like, can you tell the difference or? Yeah, you can definitely tell the difference. And uh, I'm assuming Johnny's going to have some kind of disclaimer saying that this is all kind of an experiment. And so in some of the smaller voids, we just put a little bit of aluminum just so it'd be mm -hmm. almost like a sparkle kind of effect to it. Okay. So that as light caught it in different angles, you could kind of see it. And then in other ones, we really packed it in there, like really, really tight. Okay. And so that way we could show it in the video saying like, hey, this is the first attempt this is what this looks like when you do it this way. This is what it looks like when you do it that way. And so I haven't seen it with a finish on it yet. I left the morning that Johnny was going to be applying all of the coats of, I think he's using, you know what? I'm going to, I'm not even going to pretend like I know what finish he's using. He's using something. Yeah, exactly. So I'm still excited to see what, what the finished project looks like. So that video is going on his channel. Make sure and uh, subscribe to him so you can see that when that comes out. I went to the metal yard while we were down there and picked up some 3 8 inch steel rod and I made some hairpin legs from scratch because Johnny's got some really nice welding equipment 
And welding is always easier when you have an extra pair of hands. So we picked up some rod, made a jig to bend it into shape, cold bended it as well. So there was no heat applied and welded up the plates. And instead of a standard hairpin leg that has a five degree angle, which is what we found, we put them at a pitch of 15 degrees. So they're a little bit more dramatic, a little more custom looking. And then we painted the bottom of them with uh, appliance epoxy from Rust-Oleum. It's a enamel finish compared to just a normal spray paint, so it's going to be more durable. And we just taped off six inches from the bottom of them, Mm -hmm. sprayed the enamel coat on there, let it dry, and then when we removed it, it gave just a super crisp line. It almost looked like when you dip paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what that's exactly called, but that was kind of the look of it, except... The story we went to just didn't have the uh, the appliance enamel in a in a paint can. It was only spray finished. So we got the same look, but just a little bit different of an application. And that stuff is really strong. So I'm definitely going to keep that in my back pocket. Anytime I'm doing a metal project that I'm either going to be painting white, black, or any other color that they have, that's probably what I'm going to end up using because it reminded me of what you described the spray paint that you used. Instead of being like a really high pressure thing, it was like really powdery when it came out. Yeah. And the overspray just got on everything. And like like it got all over my arm hairs and it was just so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when that happens, man. So but, when are you guys when are you guys gonna put these videos out? Yeah, so that video should be out hopefully next week. We're kind of waiting so that Kressel can edit his video. He's doing a, a sort of a sort of tips video kind of explaining all the ins and outs of melting aluminum, doing it safely, and the, the do's and don'ts there, because we can't get that deep into it in Johnny's video, and so his is going to be the slab, and then mine is the hairpin legs, and I think they're all coming out at some point in, some point next week, in the next 10 days probably, so keep an eye out for that. And while I was down there, uh, Johnny and I also filmed a intro to welding for woodworkers video. Essentially, both of us are more of a woodworker type than we are a metal worker. And I figure a lot of our audience is in the same boat. Kind of how our workbench con talk was kind of talking about like, hey, you're making things, you want to make videos. Hopefully we can break down the one or two barriers that are holding you back. So we wanted to do the same thing essentially with welding. You know, whether it's not understanding the equipment or really understanding the difference between stick, MIG, and TIG welding, uh, or just kind of technique or the, or the, you know, if this went wrong, this is how you fix it. So we, so we made about a 20 minute video. That's basically just essentially all the tips you need to know so that you can go buy a welder and feel comfortable laying your first few beads down. And that'll be out on my second channel, Mike from Modern Builds. Make sure you go ahead and subscribe to that. It'll come out the exact same time all the other videos are. So we're dropping what is that when you? A deuce. It's not dropping a deuce. Because uh, we're dropping four videos at one time. A double deuce. So what is that called? Dropping a double deuce. <laughs> dropping two it's deuces. A deuce squared. <laughs> a deuce squared. Yeah. I like so, it. So man, I felt like I was really rambling there. There was a lot going on. I know, and also, all right. See, hey, I don't know up, if you seven? could hear him, but he came in. And I don't know if he flustered you or not. It's came okay. It's okay. This kid came Why in hot. Why are you drinking? Lacroix. It's it's Lacroix. It's okay, man. All right, go. Come on, we're podcasting. (laughs) Get out of here. Give it up for seven. All right, everybody. That was first first time on the pod. Yeah. So, any questions about this whole molten metal thing? I feel like we can get this back on track. 
I think I asked my <laughs> question. Ben, he originated You did, you did. No. How'd you sand down the, the molten aluminum? That was a pretty hefty nugget of aluminum. Yeah, so the beauty of it is <laughs> aluminum is softer than steel in router blades. And so we set up a router sled and then just took it in really, really shallow passes, about like a 32nd of an inch at a time. We just used a double flute uh, straight bit. I think it was a three-quarter inch, that and a trim router. And we got that flush with the wood or like, you know, 90% flush with the wood, and then Johnny came back with a belt sander to clean it all up. Fancy cool. stuff. Yeah. Aside from that, got back and took the bus to the shop, realized the headlights didn't work. Ooh. So it's in the shop right now, getting a good once-over before I drive it out. And yeah, it's a good idea. I spent the day today moving out of the old shop, mm. taking all of that stuff to the shop at my parents, where it can wait for a couple months until I get back. So... Nice. I'm kind of worn out today. I'm very dusty and when sweaty. When are you leaving to come here? Uh, in about a week, probably. I've got about one build that I've got to get done. I think I mentioned it probably like a month ago, this conference table that a company was asking me to do. Oh, yeah. That is finally coming into Happening. fruition. Yep, I got a lathe from Jet In. Uh, when I when I got here, I showed up and there was this giant lathe waiting for me. So I'm nice. going to be putting that together tomorrow, getting a little practice in, and then building this, then building this table. Cool. Well, why don't you guys want to do like a question? We haven't done any, uh, I mean, if, as long as you don't count last week, the live episode, we haven't done any yeah. questions in a while. So we've had yeah, a few let's... written in, so maybe we can do one of those. Alex Heap says, I moved houses last August and we're now going through room by room and redecorating. I'm trying to build as much furniture as I can for each room. This is pushing me to come up with lots of designs and ideas for each room. I'm enjoying this, but I spend a lot of time trying to work out designs which will fit the space and so far have only sorted one room. On your projects, do you find it freeing to design without space in mind or do you prefer to have space constraints when creating a design? Um, So the the way I sort of interpret that is I I think you can play it both ways, uh, but it depends on how you look at constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you're designing for a particular room, that can be good. But if you think, if you have the mindset, only one type of thing will work for this room, then it will be difficult. If I'm designing for a room, to me, that doesn't limit what I'm going to do. That just means there's all sorts of kinds of things, right? So let's say, uh, I need to pick a chair for a room. I mean, yeah. I, I've, I've, you know, arranged rooms that were a completely acrylic, ghost style chair would look great or mm-hmm. a classic sort of wooden uh, Windsor chair would look great. A lot of things can look great into the same room. It's not like style shouldn't be this uniform thing across the whole room where everything's matching. I think especially in the woodworking community, people focus too much on matching and matching has a ceiling, right? So if you approach this, uh, your wardrobe, with this idea that the, the, the best thing you can do is just everything matches. Your best case scenario is you're going to look like a mannequin from a store, right? <laughs> oh, I went to Banana Republic, and now I am completely 100% basic and without personality in my appearance. <laughs> no, what, what uh, I, I don't think style is that important of a thing, but if, when, you, when, you, when you look at it, it should be a mixture of things that are expressive and also consistent. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not about all buying things at a certain price point or at a certain level. It might be mixing. It might be mixing, you know, very affordable jeans with a really cool jacket or, you know, 
uh, you know, I always spend a lot on outerwear, but on like t-shirts and stuff like that, pretty basic. Um, so, you know, it's the same thing with sort of picking furniture for a room. There's a lot of different ways you can go, but think about the different parameters of the types of things that would look good in that space that you're trying to design for. Then you can sketch out a few different options and then you can pick the option that has the highest likelihood of success with the tools and materials that you have available. Yeah. See, I, I took this question like so much more just spatially is completely the way that I interpreted it. I would say that I prefer designing with spatial constraints in mind, just because that's more indicative of how most things are going to be and, and what I've had to do either if it's for my house or working with a client. And also because I feel like if you're designing without constraints in mind and you come up with whatever you want and then you have constraints in mind, you can usually tailor that to fit the constraints. But when you start with the constraints in mind, a lot of times that will dictate new ideas that you'll have that you would not have come up with if you didn't have those constraints in mind. So maybe, you know, Mm. making something weird shaped because you need to utilize a corner just because you don't have enough, you know, side to side space or whatever. And Yeah, I think it totally makes designing a little bit easier, to be honest. So I think I've kind of gone through my design process a little bit on the podcast, but I always start with just like a mental image. It's like I see what it looks like, but I don't know the dimensions, obviously. I couldn't. And so once you start drawing or once you get in, start getting into SketchUp, and if you don't have those rough dimensions off the bat, you're kind of like taking shots at the dark and trying to find what works. But uh, I just put out a video this week. It was SketchUp 101. It was just building... It was basically like beginners, SketchUp for beginners, I think is what it was called, something along those lines. And I just made a simple three-tiered bookshelf. Everything was a 90-degree angle. It was basically to show, like, this is the order of operations. These are the buttons you need to know for SketchUp. But that's a project that I'm going to be building in the future at some point. Now that the whole California thing is happening, it may be later than I had planned, but I went ahead and I measured the wall that it was going to be against. I knew, like, I had the mental image. It's going to be a metal-framed bookcase with three shelves. But beyond that, I didn't know the dimensions. So I went to the wall that it was going to be against, and I said, oh, a 36-inch shelf is going to look great here. 36 inches tall is going to be really nice, and I wouldn't go any deeper than 16 inches. So right there, I already had the, like, overall dimensions right off the bat so that when I got into SketchUp, I was able to give it, you know, the proper height, the proper width, and then I could play around with depth a little bit to find the right proportion. But if I didn't have those, like, ground rules right off the bat, I would have been like, well, heck, I know I want three shells, but should they be 12 inches apart, 10 inches apart? But if I knew that it has to end up at 36 inches, it could really only be, you know, yeah. one measurement and still like it makes keep some that of the same decisions proportion for you. Exactly. And so, and those are the, defi- those are the decisions that at the end of the day don't matter so much because mm-hmm. it's going to look the way you want. It's just how big it is, you know? And right. yeah. So yeah, it's funny actually when I design in SketchUp and when we were at WorkbenchCon, I, I went and watched April do her talk. She was basically oh, yeah. doing a SketchUp talk, you know, how she designs in SketchUp. And it was funny watching her because there's so many things that we do exactly the same. And I don't know if she learned in a formal way. I didn't learn in a formal way. I'm guessing she probably learned similar to the way that I learned of just 
you know, a few little technical things here and there that you, you learn by watching videos and then just trial and error. And however your brain functions is the way that you kind of learn. And there's so many things that are similar, but one of the things that we do different is the, and the way that I start off almost every project is I will draw out a box that is the size of what I want the finished thing to be. And then I work within that box to design it. So it's, I know this is how big the whole thing needs to be. And then, and then I don't know what I want the proportions to be, but I'll know that it looks right when I see it. And so if I'm working within that constraint, then I don't have to worry about, you know, Oh, I still don't like the way it looks. I want to make it longer. I want to make it longer. And then ending up with something that's like two feet longer than what could even be possible for that space. Yeah. I remember whenever we did the video together, which was the first video on the second channel, that was like a really abstract thing to me. I thought it was the like whenever you started doing that, I, I mean, I was just sitting back letting you do your thing, but I remember just thinking it was so weird to me. But it, it I did get the takeaway. I, I did get the takeaway of starting from the top down though. Yeah. Instead of starting like with your bottom shelf and then building up. If you start with your top shelf and work down or you know, the top piece of your cabinet and work down. That's a really good workflow. Cool. All right, let's uh do another question here. So we had another one come in from Ben Durick. Iraq. He says, what have been, or he wants to know what have been some of our favorite DIY shop upgrades that we've made to our workspaces. So if you guys want to think about it for a second, the one that pops into my mind first was the plywood workbench. And that was just putting that really shallow shelf on it. It's like, it probably has a four inch gap or so between the bottom of the top piece and, and the top of that bottom shelf. And I think most people, you would put the shelf down a lot lower, maybe like center on the workbench, but I couldn't because the whole point of the workbench was to be able to fit the X carve below. But that shelf has come in so handy for whenever I'm working on a project, like all of the pieces that I just cut, I just slide them right under there. My tape measure, all that stuff that I know I'm going to be grabbing all the time, but that I don't want to clutter my worktop. Cause I was always constantly just having to move stuff around, walk across the shop to set stuff down or just having it be in my way. And now just like sliding under there, just making that kind of like the muscle memory thing that I go to whenever I finish cutting something, just throw it under there. It saves me so much time in having to move stuff around and clear up space. Um, and I've actually had a lot of people write to me that they've said that they've done the same thing and that it's been super beneficial to them too. I'm going to agree. The workbench that I just got done building, you know, earlier this month, or I guess last month, man, I love that thing. Having something that's just got a lot of weight to it and does not slide around whenever you're like, belt sanding or doing whatever you're doing is really, really nice. That and then the second workbench that I, the workbench that I have that just holds all the rest of my tools. It's just a really simple two by four and plywood kind of cart that's Mm -hmm. on wheels. That is really nice. Just having a spot for all of your like miscellaneous tools, like the drill press, the planer, uh, the spindle sander and all that, all those tools, like having a spot for them to where they can all set, be independent. You can use them or you can pick it up. Like I always end up picking them up and then moving them to my main workbench, but just having a spot that they can all live, be efficient in and uh, like not be right next to each other, but still share the same space without interfering with each other is really nice. That and having a whiteboard in the shop. I like that a lot. I should do that because. Yes. Because I found myself forgetting measurements all the time or like having a sketchbook that I would have to open and close all the time. But if, if you have to cut like 10 pieces at 40 inches, three pieces at 20 and five at 15, you can write that all out on the whiteboard. So that way, when you're at the table saw and you're adjusting your fence or you're at the miter saw, you can always just glance over yeah. and make sure you're not like setting it up wrong. It's so nice. 
I should actually, I should do that because I'm always just writing things on random pieces of paper mm-hmm. that I have laying around. And then I should also just put like a clipboard mounted to my wall. Cause I always mm. will, you know, I'll print up like my basic kind of instructions to myself when I start a project and then I'll just like, you know, set heavy stuff on top of it. So a gust of wind doesn't blow it away, but I don't know why yeah. I don't just like put up a clipboard. <laughs> That's a really good idea. Yeah. I never thought of a clipboard. Ben? Uh, well, I don't really use a workbench too often. I mean, yeah. For He's me, like, uh, my floor. No. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's just having space to me, having space to totally. stage out a whole bunch of pieces helps me think my way through a project. So having extra floor space to me is, is way more important than anything else. Cause just, you know, if you're, especially if you're doing something where you might want to like pre-finish the pieces before you do it, that means even if it's a relatively small table or dresser, if you're pre-coding all the individual pieces, you need quite a bit of floor area to lay everything out. And that's what I don't like about traditional shops is uh, there tends to be these big stationary furniture pieces, like the table saws right in the middle. So for me, uh, you know, I, I really do, even when I am in a big workshop, I still sort of prefer, you know, just sort of having a big open space, you know, a good circular saw with a sharp blade, uh, drill and driver and a orbital sander. I just feel like, and, and now, or, and then if I am going to do something stationary, then I want it to be like a CNC or something really complex. And for me, those two ends of the spectrum with a lot of just empty floor space and some good sawhorses in between is everything I need. Yeah. It's funny. Actually like floor space is, especially when you're filming becomes so much more important. Like the way that oh, I yeah. have my shop set up is definitely not how it would be if I were not making videos. I think I could plan things out a lot more efficiently, but it's because I need that empty space to just be able to like get different angles and not shoot the same thing every single time you have to make that compromise. Totally. What have you guys been obsessed with? Have you had, mm. have you had time to be obsessed with anything? Anything new? Not really. I've been like nonstop, just flat out working. I know. And same here, man. Stuff done and traveling. So, uh, not really too much time for doing it. I did watch on my last flight one of the Oscar-nominated Best Pictures, that three billboards outside of Ebbing's. Mm-hmm. I thought it was such a cynical piece of garbage. Like, uh, <laughs> It was like written – it's like how someone – it's like how some sort of snotty European person would write about like Americans in the South. And yeah. it was – it was just dog crap and negative and full of like cliches that just didn't make a whole lot of sense. But again, I think it would sort of appeal to people that have a certain uh, idea of like, uh, you know, uh, certain parts of the US, but haven't actually spent a lot of time there. It was also really unclear, like what sort of like kind of like time frame it was in. Um, yeah. So... I really hope it doesn't win Best Picture because uh, I saw... It's funny because it could be I, like winning it literally right now. Right. I saw a lot of <laughs> a lot of movies this year that were significantly better than that. So don't see it. It's stupid. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, if, if you want to see it just because, you know, I think it's interesting to see something that was like partially critically well-reviewed. Like uh, a lot of the movie critics uh, I sort of follow, I went and checked afterwards. I was like, am I crazy? Because how did this get nominated? Um, and there, you know, and a lot of the people that I uh, like, unsurprisingly, 
uh, probably because their opinion was somewhat similar or their taste was, um, sort of yeah, uh, had sort of similar thoughts. So I, was, I felt like, okay, I'm not the crazy person. But um, cool. good, good reminder that just because something is nominated for something or that doesn't mean it's good. Or at least you mean go. your subjective opinion. You know, it's totally. funny. On, on the plane ride home, the, on the plane ride there, I edited a whole video. And then on the plane ride home, I was just like, I'm going to just keep getting as much work as I can done. So I was editing more. And I ended up getting to a good stopping spot. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just like relax a little bit and watch a movie. So I started watching that movie Mother. Um, just, I don't know. I was kind of intrigued to see what it was all yeah. about. So the I was Darren watching Aronofsky it. The Aronofsky one, right? Yeah. And so... <laughs> I'm watching it and then I, I was getting sidetracked. I saw the person next to me looking at the thing where it, like the flight tracker thing where it tells you how much longer you're going to be there. And yeah. I was like, oh, I'll look at that real quick. And then I realized like, oh man, I'm going to be like 20 minutes short of being able to finish this movie. <laughs> so I just had to turn it off. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. A bad timing on my part. Yeah. All right. I'm going to say my obsession this week is SketchUp. I'm getting pretty decent at it. So it feels good to be able to get in there and like not just fumble around finding the buttons I need and stuff like that. Plus, yeah. I put out the video teaching people SketchUp. So if you are interested in learning SketchUp, I literally made the video for you. It's on my main channel. Just search Modern Builds. You'll find it. Um, it's a really simple project. Just follow along with that. You'll know the basic order of operations and the buttons you need to press. So go watch that. Um, aside from that, I'm just going to shout out Johnny Brook, uh, Crafted Workshop. Links in the, ch- in the description. As well as Kressel Anderson. His uh, channel is called Maker Size. Links will be down there to b- below to both of them. Cool channels in their own respective like areas of expertise. Um, so yeah, I'm just really excited for this project to come out. I mean, I use hairpin legs so much. So it was just cool making some from scratch. It was surprisingly easy and they came out surprisingly cool looking as well. Um, so I think my video is going to be a lot of fun. But also just that video that's going to be on Johnny's channel is going to be it's going to be a banger. So go give it some upvotes on Reddit. Make sure it goes viral. You know, I want, I, just, the ble- I want the spillover traffic. <laughs> I just thought of one other thing. Do you guys remember probably like two months ago, I was talking about there was, I was working on a top of a coffee table design where it would be a herringbone pattern that would fade from being the pattern into nothingness. And I was talking yeah. about how on the X carve I could like jig it up or whatever. Yeah, you never did that. I Yeah, it was going to be for a client and then that fell oh, okay. through. And then I, I still... We'll probably eventually do it someday when I need a project uh-huh. to do and I'm running out of ideas. But um, I was talking to Zach about it at WorkbenchCon because I was, you know, Ben had even mentioned like, or you could just use a, a modeling software that's better and you'd be able to do it there in the software. <laughs> and yeah. he was telling me, so actually the way that it works is in Easel, whatever it reads as black, it will cut to full depth. And then it's just like a gradient. So the lighter gray that it is, the less shallow yep. So basically I could, yeah, I could do that whole thing in like illustrator. I could just drop yeah. that pattern and then just make it a gradient fade and it would do Dude, exactly you should do that. that. Yeah, yeah. That would be really cool. Makes it a lot easier. And the reason that I thought of that was because when you said SketchUp, I was also thinking I was talking to a guy about fusion 360 while we were there too. Yeah. That I'm probably going to try to learn it just because one thing I, I want to do some chairs this year and I want to try to do. I want to do a, a few different ways. So I want to do definitely one where I just hand carve it. Right. Probably with like a like an Arbor Tech or something like that. Uh, the seat, you know, where you like co- carve out the basically, the I don't know, the butt recess. Yeah. And like the little fin that goes between your legs. I'm sure there's technical names for all these things. But yeah, yeah one way. Right. The, <laughs> the leg fin. Yep. 
the sack fin. That's the technical name Ooh. for it. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, no. But yeah, I want to. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try doing one in Fusion 360. I think at some point. Very cool. So I yeah. got to learn it. Ben's going to be yeah. proud of me. Yeah. Awesome. I've got some cool news. I'm working with Shapeways, which is a really cool 3D printing company. So I'm in, I'm going to be talking about them next week. But I got a cool collab coming up with them. So. Awesome. I might just have to learn Fusion as well if I'm going to get deep into the, the 3D printing game. So. Do it. Anyways, thanks guys for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you learned something. If you're not already, we are at Modern Maker Podcast on Instagram, at Modern Builds, at Four Eyes Furniture, and at Benjamin Ueda. Make sure and go check out our Dwell Made series. I think I have a video going up there either this week or next week, the round mirror that I was talking about a week or so ago. That, that video is going to be coming out, so... Give that one some thumbs up and let me know what you think. If you're not already, or if you haven't already, we would love a review on the iTunes app store. That just helps the podcast app know we're a good one and that it it should suggest it to other people. That was a tongue twister. (laughs) But anyways, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. Later. Nice. There we go.